Hi, I'm Judith Dreyer. Thank you for joining me for this podcast series, The Holistic Nature of Us. I invite you to a journey with me into a better understanding of the concepts behind our holistic nature and how that ties us directly to the natural world around us. My intention is to be your guide for this half hour as we begin seeing our world with fresh eyes, gaining more understanding and learning how we can connect the dots in practical ways that we are nature and nature's in us. I feature a broad range of guests deeply concerned about the environmental issues of our time and more, authors and educators, practitioners and others whose passion for this earth and for all species help us create sustainable bridges of understanding. These folks are innovators, action-oriented, creating solutions in a variety of ways that honors us and the planet's holistic nature. I am honored to share their stories, their projects, and their passion with all of you. Today, I'm delighted to introduce you to the Mission Monarch Coordinator, which is a citizen science-based program documenting monarchs' reproductive process. It is part of an international research and education effort aimed at saving the migratory populations of this endangered species. Welcome, Andre Philippe. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, hi, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So let's dig into this very timely topic today. Tell us, first of all, about yourself and how you got interested not only in insects, but also with this program. Yeah, so first of all, I'm a biologist, so I studied biology because I was initially interested in plants, but uh, as I went further into my uh, studies, I came to realize that the links between plants and uh, insects are very important, and, um, well, the diversity of insects is way higher than those than that of the plants, so there's more things to discover. So that's how I got into insects. And, and uh, after my my master's, I got that job at the Insectarium. So I'm the Mission Monarch coordinator since two years now. And um, yeah, um, it's a very interesting um, experience uh, professionally because I, I do some education because I had to teach the people about our program and about uh, raising a real awareness about the, the monarch in general. And I also do some research, so there's an interesting equilibrium, in my opinion, in that uh, in that position, and it and gives me the opportunity to collaborate with uh, researchers and, uh, um, yeah, other people in, in all three countries of North America, so it's really motivating. Oh, it sounds exciting, because the monarchs aren't just limited to their migration they're all they're all over the place on our continent correct yeah so we have two populations of monarchs in north america one west of the rockies and one east of the rockies and um, the biggest population is the east uh, migratory population and it migrates between canada and uh, mexico so if you want to study the monarch and if you want to to help it go through the the threats it faces right now, you got to work with people uh, from all three countries to implement um, efficient conservation actions. 
Oh, that's interesting. So that so that takes you um, into different climates. Uh, it must take you into different needs of the monarch. Is that correct? Yeah. <clears throat> so they have um, specific needs all along their migratory route um, in in northern United States and southern Canada. That's where they go to to breed uh, to reproduce. So they need their host plant. They need milkweed. Uh, because it's the only plants on which the monarchs lay their eggs, and it's the only plants the, um, that the caterpillar eats. So they need that plant, they need a lot of it, so this is what they need in the north, and while in the, in the south, in Mexico, uh, they need their, their forest there, with a, that specific fir tree on which they, they, they settle waiting for this uh, for the winter to pass um, and between those forests in Mexico and their breeding habitats in um, well, northern United States and southern Canada well they need nectar because during the migration they need fuel right right to, to get to one place to another so all different needs all along their migratory routes and, and so do they have favorite plants for the nectar? Because we always hear about how important milkweed is. But do they have other plants that are just as important for nectar, for fuel? Yeah. So, so yeah, if you want to create a, a habitat for the monarch, you need the milkweed. But the thing is, milkweed doesn't bloom. So it doesn't produce nectar all summer long. So the idea is to have a mix of plants, ideally native plants, that um, will bloom all well during all the summer, and um, they're well. So you need this diversity. So I'm thinking, for example, of a goldenrod, which is super important, especially in the at the end of the summer or in the at the beginning of the of the fall when they when the monarchs are preparing for their migration for their fall migration um, because that plant is flowering at that time um, there are several others uh, nectaring plants that are good for them and uh, they of course they vary depending on the region in which you are so the plants that we have here in Montreal Quebec are not the same that you'll find in uh, in, in some United States of the United States. Um, so yeah, depending on your context or regional context, species are gonna vary. But um, wh wherever you are, you need a diversity of plants to have uh, uh, nectar availability all summer long. Well, that's interesting because we do see them on plants other than milkweed. But again, I think there might be a little misperception. That yes, uh, what I find in uh, what I'm getting at is what I find in my travels is that uh, most people don't realize that the eggs in the caterpillar uh, needs specific plant that's very different from the adult butterfly. Yeah, true. So the um, the, the the caterpillar needs milkweed, but the the adults. Uh, is gonna drink nectar from whatever plants that produces nectar. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then what you're saying is, is a good wildflower, native wildflower diversity is like the best choice for those of us in all the 50 states that uh, southern Canada, 
Um, I don't know what the Southwest offers, but they have their wildflowers too, and so the the monarch uh, needs that for fuel to get to make their journey to um, to make the journey to Mexico. So tell us what's happening today with their migratory patterns and. Uh, their species has severely declined. If you could talk about that, I, I think everybody would be interested. Yeah, sure. Um, so both North American uh, migratory populations of monarch have been declining in the past 20, 30 years. Um, the Western population have declined by over 90%, while the Eastern um, population declines by approximately 80%. So in both cases, it's a, it's a huge decline. It's very alarming. And um, we consider that there are three main reasons for that, three main uh, drivers. Um, so I'm going to talk about the, the drivers for the eastern population. Okay. Uh, the, the first one is um, uh, wood logging, um, tree logging in their um, overwintering sites in Mexico. So there was um, an industry for um, tree logging there uh, until we realized that it was um, a problem for the monarchs and, at, and then it became illegal. So now we consider that the, the, that it's not a problem anymore. Uh, I mean, there, there's no, no more tree logging there going on, but uh, the the trees that were cut um, a few decades ago, um, it resulted in a um, habitat loss that still has some effects right now, even if we don't cut those trees anymore. So this is one thing, tree logging in Mexico. Um, second is the habitat breeding habitat loss. So there are there are less milkweeds. There is less milkweed that there used to be, and this is due to the use of um, some herbicides associated with um, GMO crops. So I'm thinking of uh, glyphosate essentially, which is very efficient and it got uh, wild widely used by farmers at the end of the 90s. And this is, um, yeah, it's associated to the decline of the milk. So it grows very well in um, open habitats, such as agricultural landscapes. So when you put glyphosate there, the, it kills the milkweed. So less uh, breeding habitats for the monarchs. And the third driver, the third main driver is uh, climate change. <coughs> And uh, climate change impacts um, monarchs in a variety of ways. Uh, one of them is um, that there there is more um, meteorological events than there were before. I'm thinking of um, tornadoes or hurricanes or droughts, especially during the migration. Um, so if there if there's a drought during the migration, flowers are not gonna be producing nectar, or at least not as much nectar as they should. Um, so less fuel for the monarchs, um, and of course, if 
if monarchs get into a hurricane or a tornado during their migration, it's lots of them get killed. So it's getting more and more um, difficult to to get to Mexico for the winter because of climate change. Hmm. Yeah, let's go back to number two. We again, that seems to be hitting the press more and more these days that our use of herbicides, and in particular a glyphosate-type product, um, causing damage to our our insects, and, and in particular we're talking about the monarch butterfly today. Um, do you see any easing up of that? Um, <clears throat> well, um, some organizations are working along with farmers to... Um, to raise awareness and invite them to adopt uh, more e- ecology-friendly uh, practices um, regarding herbicides, but also insecticides. Um, there are some insecticides, for example, the, the neonicotinoids that are uh, thought to co- be causing the decline of the bee populations. So, yeah, um, some organizations are uh, suggesting, for example, um, a certification um, that farmers can adopt and then they commit to use less of those um, products in their fields, uh, apply them only when needed, for example, or in specific periods when um, when it's less uh, harmful for um, populations in the wild, so it, it's a long it's a long way uh, because those agricultural practices are uh, yeah are are hard to change because that's how the whole industry is uh, is working right now. So it's, it's a big machine, so if you want to change the the machine only um, only for only a little bit. You need to put a lot of effort. And um, yes, some organizations are doing that effort, but uh, it may it may take. It's taking time. Yeah. Is it going to take more time than we have? I mean, if these populations have seriously declined, you know, you're talking eighty to ninety percent. Um, yeah. Do we have enough time to save them? Yeah, that's the. The, the big question, right? Um, we, I mean, we're uh, pa, not positive, but um, anyway, w- we still think that there is time, yes. And um, we, w- what we say is we need to work on uh, all the aspects of um, all the problems of the decline. So. Uh, farming is one uh, with the with Mission Monarch, the program I'm, I'm coordinating. We're focusing more on uh, building habitats, um, so monitoring habitats to know where they are and if if uh, Monarch uh, uses them. Uh, we are also inviting people to create habitats. So we we are confident that if we uh, work on all those. Um, Aspects of the of the issue, we we're gonna get uh, results. So we may not 
go back to the, um, the numbers of monarchs that we used to have, you know, uh, decades ago, but we are confident that we still have time to, to, to save those migratory populations if, if, even if we don't uh, reach those um, uh, historic numbers. Mm. Well, that's interesting. Well, you're uh, an insect guy. You, you studied insects. What is the uh, primary role of the monarch, uh, from your perspective, in, in our environment? Yeah, so monarchs, like, like other butterflies, they are pollinators. Um, so this is this is what they they do. Um, otherwise, it, other than its uh, ecological role, the monarch is uh, is a symbol, you know, a cultural symbol. Um, lots of people have um, make good memories with monarch because it's a big butterfly, you know, it's uh, it's aesthetic, so people likes it. People think it's um, it's a beautiful butterfly, which it's what I think too. Uh, so people relate to that insect, and it's not all insects that have that chance to to relate with people so easily. So we can. It's been used as a uh, conservation tool and as a collaboration tool. You know, as I said earlier. Um, Scientists working on the monarch come from Mexico, the U.S., and Canada, and they work together. So, those without that species, those collaborations would not be possible. So, it's it, yes, it's a pollinator in the wild, but it's also um, has an importance uh, for us humans, you know, as a as social beings. Mm. Oh, I think you're right. It, it evokes poetry and uh, novels, and uh, it excites us on some level. And I think that's why it's hit the airwaves so much, is because um, the decline has makes us sad. I, I hope it makes us not just sad, but wakes us up uh, to doing something on a more local level. You know, everybody can look at their, anybody who has some kind of land space, a front yard, a backyard, can add, you know, uh, milkweed to their property as well as wildflowers. I'm a, I'm a big, big promoter of turning lawn into more meadowland or more natural landscapes. In fact, I've written a book about it. Um, and that to me is, is critical to helping some of these insect species, uh, survive because we need them. Yeah, yeah, I totally relate with that. Yeah. So, at the at the individual scale, we can, as you just said, we can create habitats in our yard. Uh, we can also help scientists uh, by sharing our observations. So, uh, this is what we do uh, with Mission Monarch, Mission Monarch. But there are several projects going on, citizen science projects or programs in which scientists are inviting people to to take pictures of what they see uh, and count count the number of milkweed they have in their yard or how many they just saw by the the bike lane and look for monarchs there and this is um actual data re super relevant data that uh, is being used by us scientists to inform um 
the people who do conservation to inform conservation decision, decisions, actually. Well, that, that's interesting. So you're saying that, um, you know, a master gardener program, for example, could collaborate with you uh, as well as the individual, for example. So I could go out in my yard, I could count the milkweeds that are there, and if I happen to catch a monarch, I can hopefully get a picture of it to send it in. So where would I send all that da data in? Yeah, well, um, we have a website, and all that works with our website, so it's mission-monarch.org, and uh, you have lots of things on uh, on there, so you have uh, identification um, ID sheets to help you identify the monarch, the, the, the caterpillar as well. Um, we have guides to identify milkweed plants because there are a couple, well, several different species of milkweed. Um, and it's all there. And this is also where you want to, to share your observations. So what we need to know is where you saw milkweeds and or uh, monarchs, uh, when it was, and what did you see? So how many milkweeds? Were there any monarchs? If yes, how many? And what were they? Were they adults, eggs, and caterpillars, or chrysalis? And uh, and that's it. Oh, okay. So that's really not that complicated because if you have a, a milkweed uh, area in your yard with some milkweed plants, that's a great way to take children out and have them help you uh, keep an eye on the leaves and the flowers and see what they can see uh, at the same time that mom or dad is, you know, bringing the camera out and trying to take photographs. Um, and I can see young folks getting involved with their science projects, too, on this level. So it's basically go to your website, mission-monarch.org. You have identification sheets, not only for the butterflies, but for the milkweed species. And then folks can submit to your site the when, the where, and the how many's. Uh, briefly uh, to you and so you must yeah. be collecting information from all over the continent right yeah yeah exactly and um, on our website you can you can see all the other um, observations that were made since the program was launched so there's a big interactive map there so you can see uh, for example you can go there to look and if what if you don't know where to find milkweed, you can go there and see if someone uh, did monitor milkweed in your area um, and how many were there. As, and so, and this is yeah, you have the, the the whole map for the the whole continent. So that's interesting. I know I I've gone to your website and I I think anything that puts things in a a, a one two three format is is easy to follow. If it's easy to follow, that means we'll take some action, you know, because we're we're busy people. Um, so I like I like the way that's set up and you have a great map for recent missions on there and the locations of where they're at and it's a satellite map, and then you have a beautiful photo gallery. Um, that has uh, I don't it has the dates on it, so you can see the recent photographs as well as for when you started the program. So that's that's really interesting, Andre Philippe, um, the way you've got it designed. Yeah, well, it's 
we we try to to design it as user friendly as possible, so so that it's easy for people to use them to to use our website, while um, uh, producing um, data that are still um, relevant for research. So yeah, we try to reach that equilibrium between simplicity and uh, relevance, and we think uh, we have something that works well. Mm -hmm. Good. I'm so glad for your success, and you've been three years doing this, correct? Yeah. Uh, this summer is our third summer of, uh, of, da of data collection, and um, yeah, it's, it's going pretty well. We've been doubling um, our number of participants each summer, and um, yeah, we'll, we're looking forward to see the, the results of this summer. Um, and the more people participate, the, the, the better it is. Yeah, it is. And I can only encourage my listeners to do the same thing. Find some way to look for the monarch. And you have a lovely video there about your mission. You have an easy button that says submit data. It's very good. And you also have a newsletter so people can sign up for that. And I know folks that are, that deeply care about the environment would really, uh, uh, enjoy and utilize your resources so all I can say is you know thank you again um, so I you've given us several tips I don't know if you have anything else to add not necessarily just from a monarch point of view but you're 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 into insects is there three tips or other tips that you'd like to offer our listeners today Well, other than um, creating habitats uh, and um, sharing observations, we, as citizens, we also have um, power to influence um, the people who who we elect, right? Right. So I encourage people to to vote uh, following their um, environmental um, values or. That they value, uh, yeah, to, to vote for what's important for them, of course, and um, at at the municipal scale, there is, uh, for example, that mayor's monarch pledge. So it's um, it's a commitment that mayors can take um, by um, adapting the way they manage uh, the city. Uh, you know, so there, there are over 20, 20 actions that cities can um, can take to help the monarch. Of course, it's the mayor's monarch pledge, but those actions also have an impact on all the other pollinators that share the same habitats. So, so yeah. So helping the monarch, in other words, is not just helping the monarch, but it's helping all the other species of uh, insects. Yeah, but other animals, plants, um, whatever you can think of that share those habitats. It's all helping them. You know. Right. Right. No. Yeah. Because it's inclusive. Again, that's our holistic nature. It's inclusive. It's not exclusive. So when we. Uh, if we choose on a personal level to take up the mission of the monarch, for example, um, it has other consequences 
and hopefully those individual efforts uh, connect into a bigger picture and and strengthen a species, but it strengthens other species as well. And as you mentioned, it's not just our insects, but it's our plants, it's the soil, it's all the critters that live among the plants and uh, dwell there, have shelter there, have food there, um, raise their babies there. Uh, it's, it's an inclusive environment, not an exclusive one. Um, so thank you. I think that's really helpful. So again, just before we sign off, do you have anything else to add? And please give us your contact information one more time. Sure. So um, it's it's always time to, to take part in Mission Monarch. I mean, all summer long, people can share their observations. But if people have to, to choose one moment to do so, uh, I would recommend to... I would, yeah, I would suggest that it is during the the International Monarch Monitoring Blitz, which is uh, an upcoming event. It's it, it, it's going to be launched on uh, July 27, and it lasts until August 4th. So this is uh, 10 days uh, during which um, we we invite people to to put. Um, a special uh, monitoring effort during those 10 days um, and I'm organizing this event with um, collaborators in the United States so um, the University, University of Minnesota with their Monarch Larva Monitoring Pro Program uh, also the Western well, the Dexterity Society on the West Coast um, the, the CONAMP in Mexico and the Environment Canada also um, and the idea of this event is to get as much data as possible to, to know what's going on during the summer because the monarch populations have been estimated based on um, surveys during the winter when they are in Mexico and uh, for a reason that we don't know yet, it's not it's not always correlated to what we see in the summer. So we need data in the summer, and this is why we're doing that blitz uh, every year. It's to get a comparable um, picture um, of, of, yeah, of what's going on with the monarch uh, during the summer. So yeah, I invite people to, um, to participate between um, July uh, 27 and August 4th. Um, if they have any question regarding this, Monarch.org, um, and I can also be reached by email. So my email is uh, xdrapan at ville.montreal.ca. Uh, so, yeah, it's maybe easier for the email. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll post. Yeah, we'll post the email and we'll post the um, the information again about the uh, mission-monarch.org again. Um, and I have your email so I can make sure that that's um, in there clearly. I, I usually do a transcript for each podcast for my listeners too. Uh, sometimes it's a lot easier to scan it through and, and get the, uh, the, the invaluable information that way. 
Well, yeah. Andre Philippe, thank you again. This is an exciting uh, protocol. I encourage all my listeners to participate in any way that you can. Uh, please like and share these podcasts too. Let me know what you are doing for the monarchs in your little or big neck of the woods. I appreciate it. Uh, so thank you again, Andre Philippe, for your talk, your practical advice. This is Judith Dreyer. I am the author of At the Gardenscape book and blog. My book is available through my website, which is www.judithdreyer.com. That's D as in David, R-E-Y-E-R, as well as several distribution arms, such as Amazon, Nook, Goodreads, and more. And please like and share them. Let's support each other, especially this monarch conservation effort, and get the word out. And remember, now is the time for practical action and profound interchange, so we value our world again. Enjoy your day.